please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio. And this week, we have a very special show. We're in studio with none other than John Monroe, the, the flagship captain of, of the judicial wing of Georgia Carrier, who is filing all of these interesting lawsuits and, and holding everyone accountable. And I, I know most of our listeners are familiar with Georgia Carry and what Georgia Carry does for the citizens of Georgia on, on a daily basis. But for those who are tuning in for the first time or who haven't heard of Georgia Carry before, Georgia Carry really got started with trying to, to hold the government accountable to its own laws. And the, the way that Georgia Carry focused on was to start suing municipalities who were not in compliance with state laws concerning the carrying of firearms. And so this was like one of the, the most important aspects of how Georgia Carry got the, the momentum it has to become the grassroots organization across all of Georgia that it is today. But we discussed last week with Jerry Henry that Georgia Carry was started, one of the reasons was because of how bad Georgia's laws were, gun laws were, right? Right. And, and it, part of it was that the gun laws were bad, and the gun laws were terrible. I'm, I'm not disputing that. But there were some good laws on the books that were simply not being enforced, were being enforced improperly. And one of the main ones was a preemption law. And this is something that came up over and over again, which said that all of the laws concerning the carrying of firearms had to be state laws, and they could not be municipal ordinances that banned the carrying of firearms. So, And th- this is important, because if you have a, a state license that says that you can carry your firearm you know, in all of these places, and, and when you know, Georgia Carry got started, the places were few and far between, between the public gathering and all of the other places that were off limits. But at least you had an idea where you could or couldn't carry. But if the city of Cartersville or the city of Atlanta or the city of Valdosta enacts an ordinance and says that you can't carry in a park, then you don't even know that. If you travel around in the state and you go to a park, next thing you know, you're in violation of a municipal ordinance and you're ending up in municipal court in front of someone who may or may not even be a, a real attorney as a judge. They, in some of the smaller counties, they had judges who weren't even attorneys enforcing laws. And you get into this quagmire of not knowing anywhere where you are really safe to carry. And Georgia Carry went to the mat and took all of these you know, individual county ordinances on or city ordinances on and said, hey, there's a state preemption and you can't do that. And this opened up the door for a, a uniform set of laws across the state so everybody in the state who has a permit knows where they can and can't carry which opened the door for the legislative action that said hey let's get the list down to being something that's reasonable and manageable not floating and not nebulous not where there's a public gathering but real places that you can put your finger on and say i know i can carry here and i know i can't carry there and that that was you know the the guiding beginnings of all of this and here we are today years later with such great advances where we now i mean we're going to talk a little in a little bit with with mr monroe here about the lawsuit with the governor and campus carry which is a big deal to so many of our listeners because there there are so many parents who have kids in schools and there are so many young people who are 18 19 20 21 22 in college who have rights to defend themselves, rights, you know, God-given rights to be safe wherever they go, and their rights are impacted because they're entering a school zone. 
And this is something that had come up before. So, John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Doug. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. I know it's been a while since we've had a chance to sit down and talk, and I really appreciate you coming on. Sure, it's my pleasure. So tell me a little bit about campus carry in, in, in Georgia. I mean, I know that Georgia had prohibited it for a long time. Uh, it does or had, um, and not actually as long as a lot of people think. I think um, Georgia first um, prohibited carrying guns on school campuses um, in the early 80s, something like 1982, um, and, and then slowly over the years added some provisions to that, I think added campuses of colleges later on. Um, but last year, the General Assembly passed uh, House Bill 826 that decriminalized carrying guns on um, K-12 through and college campuses for people with um, weapons carry licenses. And this is an important aspect because, you know, we're, we're dealing with people who are permitted carriers. They've gone through a background check. They've got everything that, that they're supposed to do. They're law-abiding citizens, and they want to be able to defend themselves wherever they go. And that would include, you know, when you're picking up your kids in a school line. And we hear over and over and over again about people who, you know, the bad people who target schools because they are gun-free zones. You know, we've got Sandy Hook. There was that shooting in California a few years ago. I mean, all of these schools get targeted because they know that it's a place where there's nobody who is able to defend themselves. That's right. And so here we are with a, a General Assembly who is looking at no t- zero-tolerance laws. Mm-hmm. And that was where this got started. And they, there was some concern about students who carried anything onto a school zone and suddenly they were charged as a a delinquent with what would be a felony if they were an adult right and so this was one of the the points that the legislature was deciding to take on and they opened up specifically allowed anyone with a georgia weapons license to carry correct on k-12 and college campuses Okay, so what's the controversy then? It sounds like a good bill. It sounds like something everybody would be in favor of, and what's the problem? Well, also last year the legislature passed House Bill 60, uh, which was the, I guess, primary gun bill from the from the session. And the um, actually House Bill 60 didn't mention carrying guns on any campuses, and uh, but it did have the same paragraph in it that, that was modified by House Bill 826. The governor signed House Bill 826 uh, first, and then he signed House Bill 60 a couple hours later. And the position he's taken is that uh, because one bill was signed before the other and there's a conflict, which doesn't actually exist, uh, that House Bill 826 uh, was repealed a couple hours after it was uh, signed into law by him. Uh, So his position is that you can't really carry a gun on campus even if you have a license. Okay, so I'm 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 getting confused here, and you're going to have to walk me through this. Well, I just confused myself. So, <laughs> so we've got two bills that passed last year. Correct. One of them is like the the primary gun bill that everyone had been focused on and working on, and and the the big monolithic gun bill of that session. Correct. The other bill is about college campuses, school campuses, and common sense carrying of firearms, and not getting charged under zero tolerance on those specific places. Right. And it doesn't, that bill doesn't really differentiate um, as, a, as it a, a pertains to gun carry between colleges and K-12. through So I'll just call them all campuses. But when we're talking about campuses, we're talking about all schools. All schools. Okay. So we've got a, we've got a school bill and we've got a gun bill. Right. And they're both t- doing the same thing. Is that about right? Well, not really. The, the gun bill was, as you say, kind of an omnibus bill. That, um, that really pertain to many different aspects of guns in Georgia. The school bill uh, was really 
primarily aimed at the zero tolerance policies that schools have and that the that the state had actually um, and one provision in that bill which really wasn't the main focus of it is that it decriminalized carrying guns on campuses for people with licenses so we've got two bills that expand people's rights and the governor's position is is that if you expand their rights twice then it's like a double negative and it goes away well, it's it's really kind of hard to follow the logic because because it's it's hard to find the logic. But the the gun bill had the same paragraph contained in it from the code that the school bill had regarding guns on campuses. Um, it the the uh, gun bill didn't actually make any meaningful changes to it. I think it it used some new phrases and new words that were newly defined, but it actually changed the sub- substance of the school carry it didn't say that now you can't carry or now you can carry any place that it didn't have before the gun the school bill on the other hand said affirmatively that if you have a license you're exempt from the provision for carrying uh, guns on campuses so i i don't get the logic but the position of the governor and apparently of the legislative council is that there's a conflict an irreconcilable conflict at that and because the uh, gun bill was signed after the school bill. The gun bill repealed the school bill. Sounds to me like the governor just didn't want the law on the books the way it was written. Well, I'm sure he didn't, but he has a policy of signing every pro-gun bill that comes across his desk, so he didn't really have much choice. So what is this legislative council you you reference? The legislative council is a, a organization in the state whose primary function is to be the lawyers for the legislature when it comes to drafting bills. If you're a senator or a representative and you want to introduce a bill that uh, gives free Kool-Aid to everybody, you go to the legislative council and say, I want a bill that gives free Kool-Aid to everybody, write it for me. And that's what they do. So this is a team of, of attorneys and other people who are professionals who do nothing but draft legislation. Well, they don't do nothing but draft legislation, but that's their primary purpose. They have an auxiliary purpose, and that is uh, they are also the staff for the Code Revision Commission, uh, which is another body made up of, of uh, people in the state who take all the bills that are passed by the legislature every year and codify them by, put, by publishing them into the official code of Georgia. Okay, so when... You want to find out what the law is in Georgia. You go to the official code of Georgia, Georgia annotated. You pull it off. It's got everything written down in these sections. You know, it would be like 9, 11, 23, or, or 16, 4, 2. And each one of these sections has a law in it, and that is the law of the land. But that is not the way that it comes out of the legislature. So this is condensed down, reworded, organized in a certain way so that it's findable, and it's just an administrative task, right? It is an administrative task, and 99 probably 0.9% of the time what you said is correct, that the code is the law of the land, but technically the law of the land is the bills that the legislature passes. The official code is just a convenient way to reference them and find them. So if there's a discrepancy between the code and a bill, the bill trumps. Exactly, because what the legislature passes is the law. The uh, The code is just a compilation of all of those laws, and if somebody made a mistake putting that code together, that doesn't change the law, and they don't have the power to change the law. All right, folks, we're coming up on a commercial break, so when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about how a, a bill becomes a code and what a code means and how badly things can get off track. So uh, stay tuned, and we'll be back in just a moment.
now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Georgia Carry Radio right now, and we have in studio John Monroe, who is briefing us on the, what's going on with the state of the lawsuits Georgia Carey is filing around the state, and particularly against the governor about a, a bill from last year that apparently isn't getting told to anybody the way it's supposed to. John, you, when we took our break, you said that there were some – when the Code Revision Commission drafts code from – the bills that 99.9% of the time the code is accurately reflecting what the bill said, but sometimes it's not. Yeah, it doesn't come up very often, uh, but once in a while it, it, uh, there's, there's a discrepancy. Uh, you know, I suppose sometimes there are just administrative errors that are made because people are human and, and words get missed or commas get dropped or something like that. But once in a while, uh, the legislature passes more than one bill in a session that touch the same subject matter. And then it's a question of what actually ought to go in the code. And there have been instances uh, a couple of times throughout history where uh, it wasn't necessarily clear what the law was because the legislature apparently wasn't paying attention to the fact that it was passing two bills at the same time. Okay, so this is something that does come up in the... It has come up in the past. It comes up from time to time. And the remedy for this is what? Well, if the legislature really passes two bills in the same session and both and the bills are not reconcilable, like one of them says um, you have to stop on red lights and one of them says you can go on red lights, then obviously they both can't stand. Um, then there's a process for deciding which one rules over the other one. Um, and, that, and the general process is the one that becomes law the latest repeals the one that became law earliest. Even uh, if it's just a matter of which ones are sitting on the governor's desk. Exactly. If they both become law at the same time, um, which is in most cases on July 1st, um, then in this, it's the order in which they're signed by the governor. Okay. There's not really any dispute about that. But the governor and the legislative council are relying on that legal doctrine um, and skipping over the a very important analysis of is, is there an irreconcilable difference exactly and so, and the two bills we're talking about the 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 gun bill doesn't say anything about about this topic at all the school bill says you are exempt from the law banning carrying guns on campuses if you have a weapons carry license so, so there isn't any discrepancy and we've actually had a judge in fulton county superior court tell us that well you know Looking at this logically, from a common sense perspective, when, when I was a kid, I used to listen to a guy who had a great show, and he said, he said you had to look at things through garage logic. And if we were going to apply garage logic to this situation, you'd say, well, if you pass a bill and you decide that it wasn't what you intended or it has consequences that you didn't realize or it wasn't really a good bill in the end, the, the correct way to fix it is to pass another bill that would repeal it and take care of the issue. So if, if the governor is really thinking that this bill should be repealed or taken away, why not just go through the legislative process that is inherent to our system? Well, that makes a lot of sense, but of course every year you have a different legislature. Uh, all of the representatives have to run for re-election every two years, and in Georgia all the senators run for re-election every two years. So you don't have the same legislature this year that you did last year. That's probably a relatively minor point in this case. But the fact of the matter is, I don't know that the same legislature uh, this year and last year would pass exactly the same bills, and I don't think that there's the will to repeal something that they passed last year that was in uh, favor of the law-abiding, gun-toting public. So here we are with a bill that the legislature isn't willing to repeal, 
that it doesn't have any direct conflict with the other bill that came out last year. If somebody doesn't agree with it for their own political reasons, so they go, okay, let's suppress it and, that's and where, annotate it. And that's where this lawsuit comes in. Yeah, what actually happened is then when the Code Revision Commission published the the code after last year's legislative session, they omitted all of the parts from the school bill that had anything to do with guns. It's, a, it's as though they never happened. And this is an act of the legislature that passed the House um, unanimously. There were no dissenting votes in the House. It passed the Senate with two no votes. It overwhelmingly passed both houses of the legislature and was signed by the governor. It's the law of the land. It's not published in the code. Even if it had been vetoed by the governor, with that high of a margin, they could have overridden his veto. Yeah, if the governor had vetoed it, presumably uh, very early in January this year, it would have passed an override. So here we are with, with what seems to be some sort of very devious game, and we've got a lawsuit pending now. What is the substance of the lawsuit? What are we asking for? We've actually got two separate classes of defendants, really. Uh, we've got the governor named as a defendant um, because he's the chief executive officer of the state and presumably is ultimately responsible for enforcing let the me, laws of the state. Let me interrupt. Is it really awesome to be able to sue the governor? I mean, is that like a feather in your hat where you go, man, I never thought I was going to be suing a governor before. Questions you hear one attorney <laughs> ask the other, right? Nah, it's just a name on a lawsuit. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, it's not like I'm going to be taking his deposition or anything. Um, so that's one class of defendants. We're suing the governor because, hey, that's not really what the law is. Um, and... And he's responsible for enforcing the laws in Georgia. The other class of defendants is the Code Revision Commission and all of its members. And I should stop and, and mention who the members are. By law, the members of the Code Revision Commission are the Speaker of the House and four people whom he uh, appoints from among the House members. Uh, the Lieutenant Governor and four Senators that he appoints. Those are ten members. And then there are five members who are appointed by the President of the State Bar from among the State Bar membership. Most of the people uh, in the legislature that are appointed to it are also lawyers. So this is a, a bunch of lawyers who theoretically get around and, and whose primary or only mission is to take the laws that the legislature has passed and put them into the code books. But in reality, that's not really what happens because, as I mentioned earlier in the first segment, their staff is the legislative council. These are full-time employees of the state, and the off-season, they don't have a whole lot of stuff other to do than work on the code. So they're the ones who actually do the heavy lifting. They take all the bills that are passed, and they put them together into the code, and then theoretically the Code Revision Commission goes through all of that and says, oh, yeah, you're right about all of these. Oh, we think you got that one wrong. But in reality, the Code Revision Commission doesn't really get together and talk about things like that because they don't have time to. So the Legislative Council is who really publishes the code. Okay, so we've got we've got a figurehead commission that oversees, that rubber stamps, that makes sure that everything is the way it's coming out. We've got a bureaucracy that has been created and that survives from administration to administration that is actually drafting the official code that every prosecutor in Georgia pulls out as gospel, opens up and says, you've committed a crime. And every cop on the side of the road has a code book and paperback that he pulls out in his quad car, too. Yeah. And here we are with this this like quintessential document of what is and is not legal in Georgia. 
and it has an error, and we're asking them to change it. And is this something that, now you said that a, a superior court judge in Fulton County, so I'm guessing, my thought coming at this from a layman's perspective would be, well, something of this magnitude would be something the Supreme Court would hear, but it starts in superior court in the county of Fulton? Yeah, the, there actually have been multiple lawsuits on this topic. Uh, the one I'm uh, we're talking about is um, a, a Georgia Carey member who has uh, a child in Fulton County school system had had some communications with school officials after the laws passed and said, hey, I see that now it's legal for people with uh, weapons carry licenses to carry guns in schools. I've got a child in school. I have to come to school occasionally to work with him on his education and see his teachers and such, and I expect I'll be carrying a gun at the time as I usually do, and that's not going to be a problem, right? And they told him on no uncertain terms that it would be a problem, so he sued. Uh, The case was dismissed um, by the uh, Fulton County Superior Court on the grounds that school districts have sovereign immunity and can't be sued, but along the way she said, but I think the plaintiffs are probably right. Okay. Well, that's that's very interesting. So where does this go from that point? You said the case was dismissed. Yeah, that case was dismissed, and it wasn't appealed, so that one's dead. Uh, There's another case very similar to it in uh, Gwinnett County Superior Court. Uh, That one also had an additional uh, count in it under uh, Section 1983, which is the Federal Civil Rights Act, um, and you uh, can't evade 1983 cases on sovereign immunity grounds that are granted under state law. Um, So that case was also dismissed, uh, but we're appealing that, and we're appealing it to the Supreme Court of Georgia because Section 1983 protects constitutional rights, and the Supreme Court has exclusive appellate jurisdiction of constitutional issues. So that one goes straight to the top. Wow. And so when is this going to get heard? Well, probably not super soon. Uh, It was appealed the um, transcript of, of the hearing that was held has not been filed with the Superior Court yet. So after that's done, then the record gets transmitted to the Supreme Court and then briefs are filed. So we're probably talking about briefs not being completed until, I don't know, sometime this fall or something like that. So I would guess it'd be argued maybe this fall or early winter or something like that. Well, very interesting. And I'm sure that those briefs are going to be available at the georgiacarry.org website so sure. everyone can read them. And perhaps after oral arguments in front of the Supreme Court, you'd be willing to come back and give us a little bit of an insight on how things went? Be happy to, although it might be more interesting to wait until after the opinion comes down. So, folks, we are coming up on another commercial break. Stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to discuss a little bit more about other lawsuits, past and and present, that Georgia Carey is undertaking. And then in our final segment, we're going to be talking about the good, the bad, the ugly this week. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, and, and we are here in studio this week with John Monroe talking about, um, actually, we, we spent most of this time talking about this massive lawsuit that we had filed against the governor and the Code Revision Commission and how they're basically hiding the ball on a bill that allows every legal license holder in Georgia to carry a gun on a campus and the law is no longer is not appearing in the code so the prosecutors don't know about this the cops don't know about this 
and people have the, the danger of being arrested for something that is not even illegal, and nobody would know the, the wiser of it. But this is just you know one aspect of Georgia Carey and what Georgia Carey does. And we've got a couple of bills that have been introduced in this last week that are very interesting um, in a variety of ways, and we've got a lot of lawsuits that have been in, filed across the state over the last couple of years. And John, I, I've been dying to ask you, since you are here, of all the lawsuits you filed, I know you filed against the, the city of Atlanta airport or Hartsville-Jackson airport, you filed against the city of Atlanta, you filed against all of these little municipalities. What one stands out in your mind as the most interesting or most important that you've done so far? Wow, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there are different ones that are probably important for different reasons. Um, some of the early cases that Georgia Carey did, while in the scheme of things, may not have been or may not be terribly important. Um, they're important in that they were instrumental in getting Georgia Carey moving along. And I'm thinking back to when there were only a handful of members and we literally passed a hat um, getting donations so that we could scrape up enough money for filing fees and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and those cases are important because they really... Uh, uh, got us started. And that highlights the grassroots nature of Georgia Carey. I mean, it really was some people who had a vision and, and a belief in what this country should be and what this state should be and who got together and affected change in a meaningful way. And now there's over 7,000 members who all have the same belief that Georgia can be a better place and we can have more freedom, a place where our families can feel safe and secure. And this is an amazing story. So, I mean, I can see how that is important. Yeah. Uh, another one that's uh, that's probably important um, it just per se in and of itself is um, is a case we did against Coweta County where we challenged a county ordinance banning carrying guns in county parks and recreation facilities. Um, we, we actually lost that in Superior Court. Uh, it was kind of funny. They filed a motion for summary judgment on a Friday, and the judge granted it on a Monday. And I said, wait a minute, don't we get to say anything? But anyway, we went to the Court of Appeals um, and, and won on appeal. Uh, the court said that the law was clear, that uh, state law preempts local regulation. And, uh, and as a result of that, we got a, we got a nice opinion out of it. And uh, I've cited that opinion many, many, many times because we keep running into cities and counties all over the state that have uh, laws banning carrying guns. In fact, we just uh, resolved a case uh, just last week against the city of Carrollton that had uh, ordinances banning carrying guns on the Greenbelt Trail and in parades, and they repealed them, I think, in the face of having to uh, to defend themselves. And, and now we've strengthened the preemption law uh, last year in the legislature by adding a fee-shifting fee provision. So, so cities that... Um, dig in their heels and make us drag them to court have to pay attorney's fees if they lose. Well, that's that's very good for everyone in Georgia. I mean, that makes it so that, you know, people who are, are elected are held accountable and, and there's not, you know, this danger of not having people who are willing to make these fights. So I, I think that that's an amazing provision that the legislature incorporated. And you're still fighting places all over. I, I heard it wasn't the botanical gardens or some, some garden somewhere that is still prohibiting people from carrying or yeah that's actually a, a different issue we've got a couple of cases going on right now that address that issue um that was something else that came out of out of uh, house bill uh, 60 and and that is if a um if a private entity leases property from a public entity uh that 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 private entity cannot ban guns on its property if if you're a private entity and you want to ban guns that's great 
you just have to have your own property or lease other private property. But if you're going to be like in the case of the Atlanta Botanical Gardens, leases its property from the city of Atlanta, it can't ban guns. The 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 law says that, um, and that prevents uh, end runs by cities and counties uh, by by building property uh, and then leasing it out to some third party, some third party, or creating some quasi-private organization to run it for them and then let them ban guns, even though the city itself couldn't do that. And we hear about that a lot. I mean, there's an awful lot of that going on now. I mean, I was reading a story just this last week about private police forces being on the rise across the country because the the, the cities are trying to, you know, extricate some of this and get around a lot of what has been built up as, you know, pure constitutional law involving searches and seizures and the rights of, of people to be able to freely exercise their their rights under the the Bill of Rights and the U.S. Constitution, and so here we can see another place where you know government takes a hardline view and decides that it, they are not going to follow the law of the land or the Constitution that protects our individual rights, and seeks out a third party to be a willing accomplice in this. And Georgia Kerry is shutting them down left and right. Yeah, and and we've got uh, another case. On that same topic, up in Floyd County, where uh, where Rome, the city of Rome, Georgia, is, they have an ordinance there, a county ordinance banning carrying guns at the Floyd County Airport, and um, we brought a case against them, and we had a hearing um, before the Superior Court up in Floyd County on a, on our motion for an interlocutory injunction to prevent them from enforcing that ordinance while the case was going on, and during oral argument, I said to the judge. State law says that if you lease uh, public property, you can't ban guns on it. And he said, I just can't believe that's what the law is, so I'm denying the injunction. Which judge was that? Well, I probably shouldn't say, but um, that's some of the stuff we have to deal with sometimes. I mean, it boggles the mind at some of the, the steps that people will go to in order to prohibit people from exercising, freely exercising their, their God-given rights. And, you know, this we're going to talk a little bit in our final segment about the good, the bad, and the ugly and, and some of the bills that were introduced this year. You know, one of the things that, that I personally, you know, just speaking for myself, am looking forward to is the day when we have constitutional carry, which is shorthand for saying you don't need a license to be able to exercise a right. And the reason that I come to that is because I used to live in Alaska, where that's what the law is. There are laws against doing certain things, but there isn't a law against carrying a firearm unless you're in a prohibited place. And you don't need to have a license. They have a license provision, so you can get a license if you're going to be traveling for you want reciprocity, and you can get a license up there, but you don't need it on a daily basis for any, you know, real purpose. And I think that that is something that, you know, looking down the pike is something that's good for every state. And there are states that are starting as laboratories of democracy are starting to do this. You've got Alaska, I think Vermont, and was it West Virginia that passed a bill just recently about the same sort of idea? So, it I mean, was we, West Virginia. We, we've got a lot of different ways of, of doing this. And here in Georgia, we have a license procedure. We have a much better procedure than we had ever had before. You know, there's a definite timetable. You know that you're going to get your license in 30 days. You know that the, what the prices are going to be. It's not really up to every county to do whatever they want anymore. You're getting a license that is actually a photo identification card. I mean, I still have the old one in my wallet from years ago where it looked like, you know, some kid ran it off with a, a laser printer. <laughs> we One of our early cases, actually, uh, that I had against the state of Georgia for requiring Social Security numbers to apply, uh, during discovery, I asked the state to produce the application 
in discovery, and, and they refused to do it on the grounds that the application also contained the Word file, which was what they used to print out licenses, and they didn't want that Word file to become in the public domain. Wow. I mean, it, that... It was kind of an interesting way of, of running a business. Did I you think. just say that it was a Word file? Like, I, I did say that. <laughs> wow. And, and That's a whole new kind of stupid right there. <laughs> and, and actually, their their objection didn't stand up. The court ordered them to, to uh, produce it for us. So I have that Word file, which was at one time used to create licenses in Georgia. Which is probably why mine has like this foil picture you can see through. Have you seen the newest ones? I, yeah, I've got one of the newer ones. But yeah, they. Uh, if you have one of the old ones, it looks like something somebody did with a typewriter, and well, that's we essentially what they did. Doug's old one, because when I got mine recently, and we got married, and, and I had to get new names and stuff, and so I got mine, and it has my picture in the bottom, and it's real pretty. And Doug's looks like, you know, employee ID card. <laughs> <laughs> a laminating machine gone amok. I mean, it, it it was a it was a different world just ten years ago here in Georgia when it came to carrying a firearm. I mean, a completely different world. Yeah, and they didn't the the licenses didn't fit in your wallet either because they were not credit card size. You had to take scissors and trim them down to make them fit. Well, it depends on the wallet, I guess. I I carry a wallet that's downright scary, as, as Jess well knows. But yeah, I mean, you, we we look at all of the advances we've made and. A lot of them have been legislative, and I'm going to. I will never discount the important work Georgia Carey does in uh, giving advice and, and consent on bills and getting people involved, and, and the massive grassroots that comes along with the people calling into the legislature. But that's just the opening salvo because once you get a bill passed, you can see all of the shenanigans that go on to keep the bill from being codified. From judges turning around and saying, you know, I, I just don't believe that that's what the law really means, even though that's what it says. And so we have to fight over and over and over through case law, through these lawsuits, to make sure that people's rights are protected. And you can't just, you know, say we passed a bill so everyone can go home because the bills get overturned and then you got case law that overturns it or redefines it or changes it and it, it just becomes a quagmire unless there's somebody standing in the gap to make sure that this doesn't happen. Folks, we're coming up on a commercial break. We'll be back in just a minute. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Georgia Carry Radio, and here we are this week talking with John Monroe about all of the, the lawsuits that have been around the state, um, particularly one filed against the governor concerning campus carry and its legal status, that it is now legal to carry on campuses in Georgia, but the governor's office and, and a judicial drafting committee from the legislature don't seem to want to let anyone know what the state of the law is. And we're coming up on, on our favorite segment, Aaron, or Excuse me, Jesse, you know that we, we talk every week about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this week we've got a really interesting good, which is a complete reversal from last week's really, really ugly. Because last week we were talking about how the, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms is going to ban M855 ammunition for AR-15s. And how this is you know, just a horrible usurpation of the president's authority and, and his 
his um, agencies who are trying to ban ammunition that is commonly used in the most popular sporting rifle in the U.S. It's ammunition that is is designed for a certain twist rate in certain barrels that is more stable and more accurate, and yet here they are trying to ban this ammunition. And this week, the news, the good news is about that ban. And John, you were telling us as we came in from the commercial break that there's been a, a little bit of a development just in the last week. Yeah, the ATF has announced it was withdrawing its proposal, or what they actually said, I think, was that they were not going to pursue a final framework. When did um, they make this announcement? It was Tuesday? Yeah, Tuesday, early afternoon, I think it was. And um, and they said that uh, they'd received 80,000 comments uh, up to that point in the three-week period that the uh, comments had been open. Uh, almost all of them had been uh, against the uh, the framework. And they said they wanted some time to study some of the issues that were raised in the framework. So I take it what that means is that if they can figure out a way to pursue it um, in the face of overwhelming factual uh, problems against their proposal, they're going to. But for now, it's a dead issue. Well, I think that, you know, there's there, and I agree wholeheartedly that this ammunition does not fit within anything that should be banned. But... On top of that, this is all political, and we all know that games like this are more political than fact-based. And here we see a Republican Congress jumping up and down, saying, we're going to strip regulatory power, we're going to do investigations, this is something that our constituents care about, and we're not going to let it stand. And suddenly, yeah, let's think about this again. So I, I think that there's an awful lot of... Uh, this is really the, a really good, good story, because you see that there is some you know kickback against people trying to take away... If you can't take away the magazines and you can't take away the guns, try to take away the ammunition. Well, I had read somewhere that Obama was going to sign an executive order making that M855 illegal. Is that true or no? I, I hadn't heard that. I don't know. Have, have you heard anything about that, John? I haven't heard that, and I don't – I mean, I don't, he doesn't have the power to do that. So. Well, we thought the same thing about immigration, <laughs> but hey. Well, at, at least in the case of immigration – I mean, the, the president is constitutionally required to take care that the laws are faithfully executed, but he has prosecutorial discretion. And if he chooses not to deport large numbers of people, that's not a whole lot different from him choosing not to enforce uh, national or federal drug laws against people in Colorado. And I, I think that's probably what the nation as a whole would like him to choose to do. So, I, I mean, I, at least there's some logical basis and probably some legal basis for him to do what he's done on immigration, but to to ban something uh, by executive order, I don't think he can do. But isn't that what Clinton did with banning the imports from China of, of certain firearms? I mean, th there have been executive orders in the past that specifically banned the importation of firearms or ammunition that comes in. Well, when it comes to uh, when it comes to imports, again, the executive has some discretion um, because he has some authority when it comes to um, to foreign relations, as opposed to I don't think the the president would have any authority, for example, to issue an executive order to ban the domestic manufacture of something. And this kind of flows in with the idea of some of these you know state-grown firearms companies, where they're trying to say that. ATF doesn't have the right to regulate a firearm that is manufactured in a state for sale within a state because it's not interstate commerce. And this has come up with some of the NFA weapons and concerning short barrel rifles, short barrel shotguns, suppressors, or fully automatic weapons. Yeah, that's a neat legal argument. Unfortunately, 
Um, we know that um, you can't grow your own wheat in the face of a wheat ban, even if you're just going to eat it yourself. And you can't grow your own pot if you're just going to consume it yourself all within the same state. Um, so if you can't do those things in the face of a congressional prohibition, um, I don't think you could probably um, make your own um, NFA items um, just to use in the, in the state where you make them in the face of a federal prohibition. Well, it, it is an interesting Tenth Amendment argument, and I think that it shows, even though I know there are Supreme Court case law, you know, directly to the contrary, but it shows that there is a changing tide of opinion in this country, and that people are becoming more and more cognizant of rights that should be in the state's hands or should be in local hands and not in the federal. And this this contentious pull back and forth on how much is federal and how much is state is becoming a broader topic every year, drawing in more and more people of different opinions. Because, like you said, you know, marijuana, you've got firearms, these are camps that usually don't run in the same sort of legal argument together. But the Tenth Amendment argument or states' rights arguments are becoming more and more prevalent. Yeah, and and I do know just from experience um, in my own practice that the ATF believes that an element of all of the crimes that it enforces is that they have to prove that whatever firearm or whatever is being discussed moved in interstate commerce, even though I'm not sure the law requires it. The ATF believes that it does. Yeah, and they make that showing every time just so that nobody will challenge it on that basis. So they I do, mean, yeah. yeah it's, it's very interesting. So we've got we've got the good... Now, the bad was a little harder to come up with this week. We've, we've had a pretty good week uh, across the, the, the landscape of Georgia laws, but that Floyd County opinion that you were telling us about, John, that, that is kind of bad. Yeah, we, we've got a case where the judge uh, didn't, uh, apparently, from just from the way he was talking, I don't think he actually looked at the law just when I was describing it, saying that you can't be a private entity that leases public property and ban guns. He said... I don't think that's what the law says without having read it. I, that strikes me as bad. Well, I, I think that, you know, we have the – Georgia has 100 – I think it's 158 counties. 159. There, 159 <clears throat> counties. There are judges who write circuits, so you don't have, you know, a superior court in every county in Georgia. Right. But there are a large number of judges who hear cases every day on a variety of topics. And, you know, you can't expect them to be knowledgeable about everything in an instant. But when you have a case that comes up where they're going to be making rulings of law, you want them to be well-versed, if not for eternity, at least for that day. <laughs> and, you know, you can take the time to read the laws and read the briefs and come to a measured opinion, uh, opinion based on the facts of the case, not just based on what you wish the, the law was. And that seems what that kind of strikes me as, as, as a time when a judge was more wishing than ruling. And that's, that's a very bad thing. So in the good, the bad, and the ugly, that takes the bad for this week. And finally, we've got the, the ugly, which is two bills that got introduced, and one of them is constitutional carry, which I you know, always herald in my private life every time someone talks to me about it. But this, this constitutional carry bill is pretty ugly. Yeah, it's I mean, for one thing, it's 17 pages, and you know the ostensible purpose of it is to say you don't need a license to carry a gun. I well, I just said it in a sentence. I don't think we need 17 pages to say that. Um, Absolutely. So just the just its sheer heft makes it a little ugly, and it also criminalizes things that aren't currently crimes. Um, I'm looking at a section in particular that says. The following persons shall be prohibited by law from carrying a weapon or a long gun. 
And the first one is any person younger than 21 years of age. So here we have a bill that is supposed to be making you know, the law more free and people more free, and yet it shuts down hunting opportunities for minors. It shuts down the ability for people who are 18 and 21 to defend themselves. It, it pretty much closes the door on people to come to the point of being able to get a license in the future. And this is, while it's a great idea, this is an ugly bill. So there's the good and the bad and the ugly this week. Folks, we're coming up on the end of the show. I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and join georgiacarry.org. Go to their website at www.georgiacarry.org and join up. It's 20 bucks a year. You're going to become a part of something much bigger than yourself and that will give you the opportunity to hear about upcoming legislative actions, to get involved, to call your legislatures, to know what's happening with all of these lawsuits. On top of that, take a moment, and if you're listening to the us off the georgiacarry.org website or a podcast, contact a local station. We're carried on AM stations all across the state. You can contact your local station, have them contact us at radio at georgiacarry.org. That's our email address here, and they can get all the information to syndicate our show in your local area so that you can hear this every week broadcast and get up the most update news and information and how it affects you in the state of Georgia. Folks, I hope that you've enjoyed the show. We've really enjoyed having you on, Mr. Monroe. This was a fantastic opportunity, and, and I hope that you'll be willing to come back in the future and discuss more of the cases that Georgia Carey is fi- filing every week. I'd love to. Well, thank you so much. And Jesse and I are here every week. Next week, we're going to have another exciting show. We're going working right now to line up some special guests who will be able to talk more about the legislative session. And, folks, you enjoy your week this week. Get out there. Get shooting. Take somebody shooting. Enjoy your, your family and become involved in your political atmosphere because the only way that we're going to keep our rights safe is by you being involved on a daily basis and being cognizant of what is going on in the world. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8, right here on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.